you think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else, they're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hello Wendy. And our tactics guy and TikToker extraordinaire is Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. (laughs) That's me. And why are you a TikToker extraordinaire? Because I've because I've, we've crossed a thousand followers on TikTok. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. You've crossed a thousand followers on TikTok. That's all your work, Nathan. All me, and also the backbone of the work that we've done over the last several years to, to grow the extra as a whole. But apart from that, it was all me. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying the TikTok experience? Yeah, yeah, I am now. Now I've got like a fun tool that makes it easier instead of like several hours work trying to manually do subtitles. Oh my goodness, horrible stuff. <laughs> So we're safe to use TikTok now. It's not being controlled by, I don't know, by bots or something. Wasn't this? Wasn't there a rumor that TikTok was controlled by the Russians or something? I guess that's been ignored. It's, 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 the, it's the Chinese Communist Party government. That's... But um, I, I don't have TikTok on my phone. Right? <laughs> I make TikToks. I don't have a TikTok. I don't use TikTok. I only upload to it and then... Don't do not do not download TikTok just to watch our videos, right? This is only for people who already have the app, who've already made that decision and want that in their lives. <laughs> um but then like, you know, the thing with that is that's also true of every app on your phone and the ones that you can't get rid of and the and everything else and everything in your mm-hmm. life and the true. the what's the Alexa, the 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 microphone that everyone installs in their living rooms and talks to all day, that thing. So, you know, you can't get away from it unless you live in a hut in the woods. Which, you know, then you can't listen to the podcast, so what are you going to do? <laughs> Sounds pretty appealing, though. Uh, so, yeah, if you do want to follow us on, on TikTok and uh, have your phone infiltrated by God knows what, um, yeah, jump in. Check out Nathan's content. It's, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, I've had some friends who are not football fans at all say, oh, I've started getting your your football podcast videos on TikTok. I'm guessing there's something going on there with the algorithm. But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're probably seeing it already if you're a TikTok <laughs> user, frankly. Um, thank you also to our famous fans who got in touch. Oh, I think yeah. we're currently at seven on the entirely arbitrary scale. I, I, I think seven, without being too rude, in case they're listening in or, you know. They will be. <laughs> seven, seven's, a, seven's a push. Seven's a push. I think... Um, it, like, six and a half. We, yeah, maybe six and a half. I think because... Um, we were discussing like whether it was a logarithmic scale. So like uh, a seven is twice as famous as a six and eight is twice <laughs> as famous as a seven, right? So you you can get up into the sixes and sevens. I, I, my argument that I made is that there are currently no tens in the world because the queen died, because Michael Jackson died, right? Those for me are tens. Trump will Trump be a ten, is a ten. I, I think Trump's like nine and a half. I wow. do. I don't think Trump quite transcends, uh, you know, time and space like the Queen and Michael Jackson do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I do agree with your your theory of it. it so an eight is massive compared to a seven. Like, what would you say? Windy yeah. coins is what? A three. 
Well, this is what I was trying to work out. Where, are we twos, twos and a half? In a very internet, niche world, niche, yeah. we're higher. Yeah, Fucking massive in, as Spurs it, circles. It, <laughs> yeah, if you're talking like worldwide fame, we're like a 0.001. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's the same with everyone, right? It's, it's all localised, except for yeah. the tents, yeah. right? So I reckon Absolutely. we're twos, two and a half, maybe. <laughs> Uh, I want to give a shout out also to Stephen Howes, who um, has been listening for a long time and we hear from him every now and again, and, and his son Jack, who is a, another listener and a very nice person. So Stephen, in last week's Fantasy Premier League, got 131 points, which made him the 68th highest point scorer in the world that week. Seriously impressive. Yeah. And uh, so Stephen says, as an ex-sub and maybe your oldest... I would welcome some acknowledgement, given I've been doing fantasy since it began and have been mediocre at best all that time. I was at White Hart Lane in the evening. Morris Norman broke his leg, ending his career. My son, Jack, and I appreciate your work greatly. So thank you very much, Stephen. It's very, very sweet of you to uh, support the pod um, and very well done on your fantasy football achievements. I am, uh, I think I'm 72nd out of 411 currently in our ex-subs FPL mini league. We have some extremely good players in there. Uh, Bardi, you're not having such a good season. I'm having a better season than normal. But um, the, the problem with me is I, I can't separate like life and my my morals. So yeah. I also, I also I make really bad decisions all the time. So Richarlison has been doing incredible stuff and Darwin has been doing awful stuff. So I decided to swap the two of them. And then what happens? Richarlison's running a goal streak comes to a crashing end and Nunes starts scoring. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's me. I, I do think I'm cursed, but I'm going to keep Richarlison <laughs> in there because I don't want to spend 30 quid quite yet. <laughs> so speaking of, of Richarlison, Stone Valley King said, how excited was Bardi to see Dunk prevent Richarlison's <laughs> tap-in and Saar smash it into the net himself? <laughs> <laughs> that was quite funny. It was quite funny, but it was right. I was parallel with it, so I really couldn't get a grasp of what had happened. It was only when you you, you see it from a different angle that you realise it's bounced off the post and come back to him. Because when he struck it in with his left foot, it seemed like a really impossible angle from where I was I was stood. But then it wasn't. But um, I did enjoy um, Saar running over to my corner to celebrate and then just disappearing somewhere into a, into a melee of Spurs fans. That was quite nice. Mm. Very sweet, very wholesome moment. Man, in the stadium, the time between like the ball coming back out to Saar and him taking the shot felt like an age. It felt like felt like a full minute passed. And then I watched it back uh, last night. I was like, oh, that was just like an immediate first time <laughs> reaching to yeah. the ball at speed, right? Really impressive finish, actually, oh, yeah. at a slightly tricky angle with his weaker foot. Yeah, nicely put away. Uh, Nathan, Nathan, I think James Madison has has basically done your job for you this oh, week. Hi, Here's what Madison said after the match. He said, in the second half, we were a lot better once we figured out the build-up. They press man-to-man all over the pitch and they leave a lot of space in behind. But if you can't get the half a yard from the man who's on the ball to play the pass with quality, then you can struggle. I think we found that early on. Uh, and then he adds, the gaffer is always going on about how he wants the other winger at the back post. And it's an absolutely brilliant cross from Sonny. Brennan is listening and learning and taking on what the gaffer wants him to do. And he scored a couple of the back stick. So fair play to him, which I thought was a really interesting insight. I mean, we can tell from the way we play, but Johnson is really, really good at attacking the back post. Yeah, I'm, what do I have left to do? Thanks for writing in, James. Uh, 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 oh, an eight, a 7.5 out of 10, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd go seven and a half. Um, yeah, yeah. So they, um, again, 
so um, there's kind of been this this trade of of ideas between Brighton and Man City and how to play us, right? Because we played City first, they set up in a diamond, they man marked the our number six and our fullbacks with their midfield. And then in that game, we changed to a 4-3-1, allowed us to have two midfielders against their attacking midfielder in, in, in early possession, and that caused problems. And then Brian went one step more extreme, and they used a the midfielder to um, track our number eight coming towards the ball. And we played City and they used the same idea. And then Brighton used the same idea with, in my opinion, just a slightly more extreme way of doing things, which is um, allowing their right centre-back Van Heck to follow James Madison all the way up the pitch. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I was talking about with the City game. This is kind of why I was like, it gave us some problems, but I feel like long term, this doesn't, this doesn't, this isn't of uh, the solves. Ange Ball defeated, right? <laughs> He's been found out. You can just have your centre back march all the way up the pitch to the opposition box because obviously that's risky. And obviously, eventually, once they tired uh, and we were able to bring on fresh legs in those situations, that three v three where you've got one centre back and two full backs on the on the last line to 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 deal with that the threat of that for 96 minutes yeah yeah you you're gonna have to be man city to not concede two goals you know basically i feel like um a difficult match to watch a difficult match to be at the stadium for a difficult match to to cope through because like brighton turned the ball over um in our early build-up again and again and again and and broke up our play and made things difficult and made us rush our players you know suffocated us in the same way that city did but those breakthroughs were always um like even if that even if the winner didn't come through I would still be saying like it was risky, it was scary, like we could have done that, and then actually we did. Um, and I think maybe both our goals come from, uh, in some extent, use of Richarlison in build-up play, use of his hold-up mm-hmm. play, and I think that that would be um, focus on that and improvement on that would be where um, we best take advantage of teams who try to man mark us all the way up the pitch, um, because like. When we played City, he had Ruben Diaz on his back and he was physically dominated by Ruben Diaz. Um, Whereas Dunk, a good defender, absolutely a good defender, um, but not someone who's just going to shut Richarlison out of the game. And it is that use of Richarlison right at the end of the game, right at the death, that draws both centre-backs toward him, allows space for Madison and allows um, room for Sun to use his fresh legs into. Running the back post is always going to be worth goals. It's uh, it's actually a difficult finish because of the way the ball is bobbling. So fair play to him. That's something that he's always going to offer. That's kind of what he's in the squad for. Um, uh, <laughs> I've sort of walked myself into a kind of a Roy Keane. That's his job. That's what he's meant to do kind of situation, <laughs> which wasn't how I meant to go into that, that situation. But that's what he does well that's what he offers us and it's good and i'm happy for him <laughs> i i think um i think there's a real conversation to have around johnson but before we get there it was a really difficult match and it was really yeah it was it was really difficult because the, we couldn't play how we wanted to play and we kept falling into the same traps and that was down partly to our personnel not doing what they should do but I also thought Brighton had an incredible tactic and I thought Danny Welbeck I mean that boy he ran and ran and ran and he lived inside our number six for I don't know pretty much 60 minutes of the game and made it really difficult for us 
and there was the frustration around me and around much of the stadium that we should have just changed it up and done something differently. And even I'd come to terms with the draw. I was just like, okay, we're not going to win this game. Let's walk away with a point having not played very well. But then to, to win it like that was brilliant. And um, it was quite nice for Johnson to score it because he'd been getting a lot of, a lot of criticism. But it was a difficult game. And... I don't, I just don't want to keep seeing these things. I don't. I don't want to keep. I don't want Tottenham to keep getting dominated by teams that turn up and be smart. And that's where the frustration for me is right now. Yeah, I thought um, Brighton's game plan was fascinating. We've seen them press us in a in a four four two diamond before, but I don't think we've ever seen a centre back Van Hecker in this instance track Madison literally all the way back to his own penalty area. It was quite extreme. Um, and it, it worked fairly well for the majority of the game. Yeah. And then it was perhaps the reason we scored at the end as well. So high risk, high reward, and they didn't get the reward, but it made for an interesting tactical battle, to say the least. Um, we had a question about that from Bakubi Coys, but I think we've kind of covered I think we've kind of covered the question so we can move on from that. But it was really, really interesting. I thought um I thought there were some good performances amongst the Spurs players. I thought there were some quite poor performances as well. I would say I thought Romero was absolutely outstanding in this one. Sure. Uh, and, and this is a run of games where he's been outstanding, I, I would say. I think um, there were some early season frustrations with Romero being reckless, picking up needless cards, and then obviously getting sent off in, in a way that many felt was completely needless, giving away a penalty as well. Um but he's come back from that very strongly, I think. He's kept on the straight and narrow. He has done all the things you'd want him to do, but he's added a degree of composure and control to his game, which has elevated him, I think. And during this period, I think uh, he and Richardson have been our best players. Uh, if he can keep up this form, then it's it's huge for us because we pretty much shut Brighton out for large periods uh in this one and that is no easy thing to do they're a very good attacking team uh, the penalty was frustrating i thought benton call was rough again in the six uh, not not really enjoying him there i think basuma will come straight back in as soon as he's fit enough and i'm very glad to have basuma back um and and maybe benton call needs some time on the bench and to come off the bench and just get find his way back to full sharpness yeah after his very lengthy injury layoff yeah i think um <clears throat> I think that uh, probably with Bentancourt, you can you can say, well, he was off for a long time. He came in, um, he immediately had a couple of strong performances, and then he's faded away a little bit. And then also with Basuma, you can say he started the season really strong, and then teams tactically adjusted and double marked him out of games, and he faded off a little bit. So each of those can be in- explained individually, but just to keep an eye on, there is a trend of uh, number six is fatiguing um, longer or medium term. Um, and again, like there, in each case, there are um, explanations, but I do wonder if that's just such a demanding role that it is very, very hard physically and mentally to perform week after week. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very reasonable explanation. I mean, the six is... And he's basically got a player hanging off his back mm-hmm. for 90 minutes, which is physically exhausting. But also, they're being asked to take the ball in such dangerous areas, it must be mentally extremely taxing. They're on high alert at all times. Uh, interestingly, Basuma was um, 
one of the players marauding forward at the end when we mm. when we got the winning goal. He was on the edge of the box. He'd made his way forward, which I thought was interesting in itself um, also. So we had another question from Ivan Victor. He said, the Brighton match was a classic game of three halves. <laughs> we appeared subpar in the first half, half a yard short, short, passes under strength, players not on the same wavelength. Then the second half until the 70th minute, we seemed in control. Then the third half, 70th to the end, Brighton were back on top. Why was that? Uh, I think that the reason we struggled in the first half was that we just weren't at uh, a necessary fitness. We just seemed kind of off it, right? Brighton came out with intensity, pressed us high, and I think that we are struggling with with fitness a little bit. A lot of players coming back from injury, Bentacore especially, obviously, uh, having a hard run of games after a long time with injury. Um, You know, Van de Ven, consecutive starts after also being out a long time with injury. Um, Both fullbacks playing quite a bit of football without rest or rotation. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that we were the less fresh of the two teams in the first half. And then maybe Brighton tied a little um, because it's hard to chase James Madison all the way up the pitch to his own box again and again. Um, Allowing us back into the game. And then we made some subs. um, And it's kind of interesting because like, I think it's simultaneously true that um, bringing in those substitutions disrupted our rhythm Mm. a bit and, and allowed Brighton back into the game. But also those subs meant that there was fresh legs on the ball on the break for the winner. Um, so you kind of get you you get both <laughs> the risk and the rewards of of making subs in that situation. I do think the subs had an impact. I think they were the right subs, but I just think they were poorly timed. I thought Kulisewski had had a, a absolute donkey of a game. He hadn't played well at all, but he just had oh, really. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was good in the first half, but he just had like a five minute, five to ten minute spell where he'd started to do stuff and cause Estupinian some problems. He was he was very influential in in Sars equalizing goal, and I just thought he'd found his feet, and then he was taken off, and it seemed to it seemed to hurt us. Ultimately, Postecoglou was right because Johnson came on and scored the goal. But I think I, ju- I did feel, and I think the rest of the stadium felt as well, that the the substitutions at that moment had an impact on us because Brighton definitely came back at us and had a couple of chances themselves. And if they understood the offside law, might have might have done a little bit better. I did. I did definitely feel like. Um... Well, first of all, I felt like um, Kulisewski had a had a pretty decent game because he was the f- only forward really who could receive the ball to his feet and make it stick to him a little bit and gave us a bit of an out ball. Um, but then when he went off and Johnson came on and also Sonny came on, um, I felt like we kept attacking down the right over and over again. And I and I don't know if that's something if there was a particular reason for that if it's anything that we were doing or Brighton were doing, but it ended up being the case that most of our attacks were going down the right, going down the right. And I'm thinking, let Sonny have the ball to his feet for a moment because he's he's fresh-ish coming into the to the game, not medium term because he's had a hell of a month, right, hell of a couple of months. Um, but I really want to see Sonny on the ball, and we kept playing it into Johnson, who like again will arrive at the back post and score winning goals, but who also is not going to do well in that situation where he's receiving the ball in front of his defender and and asked to hold the ball up and bring others into play. And he really struggled with that. Um, So definitely frustrating that we kept putting the ball down the right side at the end of the game. Finally, we break down the left and, and we win it. So we had a question about Johnson from Ben Bernstein, who says... 
I was in the middle of my first e- email to you all in years, complaining about Brennan Johnson, when inevitably he scored the winner. Hmm. A brief scan of Twitter suggested I wasn't the only one going in on him and suddenly having to reverse. I'm all for giving players a chance, and he seems a good person, so it's not that. But there's something about his playing style and seeming inability to either shoot hard at goal or dribble, pu- dribble past any defender that is so infuriating. What makes us think he can get better at those things? Or, if this is basically who he will be for us, a really fast winger with a good attitude, have we made a mistake with him? What do you think, Bardi? He was getting a lot of abuse. I think people have this idea of this individual that's going to do all of these things and he's going to just be like a, a, a new bail who's just going to take the ball, cut inside mm-hmm. and bang it. And he, I, ju- I just don't think he's that player. But I still think he's a decent option. I still think he's good enough to have an impact. And he is, man. He's He is scoring goals and he is getting assists and he's... He's contributing more in, than, than, than Kulisewski. I know Kulisewski gets involved more in build-up and everything else, but yeah. the output that Johnson puts out, so his, his output is almost better than his input, if you see what I mean, because he, he doesn't get involved Absolutely. in anything. But he arrives and he scores and he, he has, like Conte or other people, like foreign managers would say, decisive moments. And that's what he does. And I think you kind of like have to mix him you can't have two decisive moment wingers. He's like, like yeah. you said, he's the guy that arrives at the back post. You need to balance it. There needs to be an essence of balance towards the front the front line. And I think at the moment on the left-hand side, we've got Werner, who's just totally indecisive. And not enough has been made about his shot from the rebound in the first half, which was pathetic, man. That it should have just curled that in. It was just, just curled that into the empty net. I, I got to my seat early for the game and Werner's finishing was outstanding from the edge of the area he was pinging everything into the top corner but then game state arrives really? he was on it was unbelievable I believe, so I, think, you. I believe you yeah so I think Johnson going back to Johnson I think he's getting he's being judged for things that he can't do he's incapable of doing but yeah. I still think he I still think he contributes to us and I'm I'm reasonably happy with his first season with us man it's not he hasn't done too bad yeah I mean I I the the blame doesn't go Johnson's way for me right you have mm. to think of him and totally with what you said there buddy you have to think of him as a poacher as a wide poacher right yeah. and you wouldn't get upset at like were people getting upset at Jermaine Defoe for not like getting enough assists you know for not like his link up play a little yeah. bit maybe okay <laughs> well i think that they were wrong to do that too because it's like yeah he's, he's a poacher like his job is to get on the end of moves and it's it's an issue with spurs that we've built the squad too heavily in that direction and it's an issue with spurs that we kept trying to make our plays down the right hand side when johnson was on the right and kulisevsky had gone off um that's not johnson's fault my hope is that over the next couple of years he will add the aspect to the game that might bring him close to where Werner is. He can carry the ball a bit. He can kind of take his man on occasionally. He can arrive to the byline once or twice a game. Right, that would be excellent if he could add add those aspects and obviously be a better finisher in the box than Werner is. Right, but he's not going to transform into a player who can who can make games happen. He's not going to be a playmaker. He's not going to grab games with the scruff of the neck. He's not going to destroy a fullback all game because that's just not the player he is. He's a finisher. I completely agree. I'm, I, I'm finding it quite strange that people are so against Johnson. Uh, I don't spend quite as much time on social media anymore. So the I, the gist of it I get is through the Discord, and I see there are some people who are frustrated by Johnson on the Discord, but it's mainly people bringing like tweets into Discord about how annoyed someone is on Twitter with Johnson, and sort of saying like this seems very extreme, whatever. 
And I do find it quite surprising. And if I uh, didn't read any Spurs content or listen to anything or whatever, I think I'd just be sat here being really quietly quite pleased with how Johnson's doing. So I just I just looked him up while you were talking, Nathan. I looked him up on Understat. I, I ranked our players by XG per 90 plus XA per 90. So Son is on 0.76. Richarlison is 0.72. Then Johnson is on 0.66, Madison 0.59, Kulisewski 0.42. He's showing up. He's doing well. Like There are really good signs in Johnson's numbers. He's not the guy that you pass to on halfway and he dribbles around three players and creates something for someone else. You you play him through and he'll hit the byline and make a cross. You cross from the other side of the pitch and he'll be there at the back post to tuck it in, as he has done several times already. And, and that has value. That's really useful. And we're going to be in two competitions next season. We're going to need a bunch of players that have different skills and abilities and can solve different problems and to produce regularly. And frankly, Johnson's doing that. It's the price tag. It's the the fact that he's young and Welsh, I imagine. And weirdly, some people were linking him to Delhi at the start because they, they felt like they looked slightly similar. Mm. And, and so that's a that's a comparison that's never going to work out well for him because Delhi was one of the best young players in the world at, at the same age. And uh, and I just think kind of lay off him and and let him do what he's doing and and be and celebrate the fact that he's scoring goals for us. Um, and, and I would expect growth from him as well. I'd expect him to improve the more coaching he gets from Ange. I think we'll see a better version of Brennan Johnson next season and, and that'll be just lovely. Adamalist said, do we need Vicario and others to kick the ball dead hard more? <laughs> and I think this is in relation to the fact that Van Heck was running up the pitch, leaving big gaps in behind. We saw Saar exploit um, a gap in the Brighton defence running from deep for the equaliser and then we saw a three on three at the end for the winner uh Vicario's long range kicking is not the best body no it's a bit wayward but I, I do agree with Adam so we should smack the ball a bit more there was opportunities there in the first half where I think someone could have just had a good old whack at it towards their goal I, we are I'm gonna like I like my favorite thing I'm gonna do I'm just gonna say something without any stats to back it up I do feel we're very <laughs> shot shot shy from from outside the area I would like to see us kick the ball harder a bit more and aim it at the goal but yeah his um his long-range passing was a bit wobbly I mean he's probably not going to dramatically improve as a long-range passer and he's probably going to be our goalkeeper for the next decade right so um I think that um if we're going to play the ball long then we have to better set up for what we're going to do with the second ball in those situations which is not like I don't think we don't practice that right we're a, one of the better pressing teams in fact the uh, sort of interesting statistical discovery of 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 the last couple of days is that we are we are in the Premier League the team who have both created and conceded the most high turnovers so winning the ball <laughs> in the final 30 yards winning the ball back in the that makes early, sense right so so it's an emotional roller coaster every game and we've also both won and lost 15 over 15 points from winning and losing positions i've messed up the wedding but you know what i mean mm. mm-hmm. hey wendy hey nathan here's a little quiz for you it was the start of the 2011-2012 season where Spurs famously grabbed fourth place in the league versus Man City. But despite ending the season with celebrations, it had been a tough start. Harry's team had lost the opening two games away at Man United before City came to the lane and 
and smashed us up. We went to Wolves in September 2011 under a bit of pressure, but came away with two with a two-goal win thanks to two late goals from... 
on Bergval. He says he's a box-to-box midfielder who's very good in possession, able to control the game, has a great work rate. He also references the fact that he's mature as a person with a good support network, which I think when you sign young players is uh, is really important. On the process of identifying players, he says they make sure they fit stylistically and also with the personality of the group that we want to build. So I think there is definitely an emphasis on who the player is as a person off the pitch, which is it's good to get confirmation of that because we've suspected it for a while. Yeah, really some some uh, snippets there of insight on our incoming players. Um, nothing, nothing groundbreaking, nothing, nothing too deep. But uh, anything you, you thought of interest there, Bardi? Uh, it was nice to have the video done by a production team rather than what was the, the Paratitude <laughs> last one. It was it was like the police were at his door and he was leaving the last <laughs> a last the minute. Yeah, he was on the run and he was leaving a video just in case something happened to him. So it was nice to have a little bit of production value. And in that sense, you're always going to get the key messages. I, I don't go in for this propaganda. He's not going to say anything here, which is... Um, ridiculous i think we've learned spurs have learned from hitchin saying he hates transfer windows and <laughs> and paratitude's selfie videos so it's good to see the club moving forward there and um, nice sound bites if that if that's your kind of thing yeah it's 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 a little bit buzzwordy it's a little bit um uh you know lacking in depth of, because of course it would um but mm. even even within what little is given um very very positive signs in my opinion speaks speaks to Im- at least implies um the right methodology uh joined up thinking young players um a system in which the coach tells you what profiles he's looking for and has a veto but isn't saying i need you know a 31 year old on 200,000 a week and if i don't get him then i will be deliberately bombing the club <laughs> you know um <laughs> there is a t- you're right there is complete shots fired here because uh, Bergville and um, Dragusin are proper club signings. and Everyone's a, a club signing now. It's yeah. club signings all the way yeah. through. Even Werner's a club signing. Yeah, had an Italian been in charge, he would have been getting really upset with these signings and the, the, the they would have been completely unaligned. Yeah. So at least that, at least we're all going in the same direction now. The other stuff he says is around our young players. So I wanted to talk a little about this and tie it into what Ange said last week because we got a bunch of questions so in the video langer says that going out on loan is a very important step for young players and in the january window they've tried to map out what he says are good clubs and environments for our young players to learn in and he says i'm very pleased that after this january window has shut we've got three young players playing regularly in the championship which we know is the league that every year develops players that transition to the premier league i thought that was intriguing Uh, And he says on the academy, uh, Simon, who's Simon Davis, will be the first one to admit that we still have a long way to go. Mm. This ties into what Ange Postacoglu said in his press conference uh, pre-Everton, where he says, I think we've got a lot of work to do in our academy. And Simon Davis is certainly one that is putting a lot of emphasis and priority there. Uh, We had questions from Jeremy Santolin, Morton and Momo Slacks about this. They wanted to get our thoughts on, um, on these comments around the academy. And I think uh, Ange talks sort of quite vaguely about it. He kind of talks about the production line. He says, I don't think we have the production line that other top clubs have. Certainly not. Even currently, that's why we're investing in some younger players, even for the first team. For us as a football club, that's definitely the way forward. Um, 
yeah, he seems sort of quite unhappy with the quality of players coming out of the academy on the whole. Um, and I kind of feel uh, there's, there's, I've got I've got mixed thoughts on this. I'd kind of want to I, I, I want to sit down with Ange and, and pin him down on a couple of these points and find out exactly what he means because he's absolutely spot on that, that there's been a real issue at Spurs with the production line and and he references young players who don't necessarily feel that there's an opportunity so we don't end up getting the best ones because we don't provide the opportunities. I've been saying this for nearly a decade. We we really struggle other than um, the obvious Harry Kane to some degree winks skip. Uh, we've really, really not been good at giving opportunities to young players or certainly sustained opportunities. And that has harmed us. And we've seen players leave and they haven't necessarily gone on to be world beaters, but we have seen players consistently leave, hyped players consistently leave to go elsewhere where they might get opportunity. In fact, Southampton took two of our under 16s at the time who were just about to join the scholarship program and they are now both getting games for Southampton and, and doing well. That's Jaden Megoma and uh, Sam Amo Amayor. Um, and, and there are countless examples of players that have left Spurs and, and got on to get game time elsewhere um, over the years. And and so I do agree with the concept that Ange is raising there. I do think the timing is odd though because the under 18 group that we currently have are simply the best under-18 group I've seen at Spurs in probably a decade. Wow. The, the quality level is is so high and also so deep that, you know, it's not like there was one or two outstanding players and then some good players. There there are five or six outstanding players and then a bunch of also really good players who could become outstanding. And I've not seen that in our academy for a bit. So, like, so the timing, I think, is slightly off. Like Kane, Mason Townsend's generation is, is where you go back to. I reckon so. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so the, the, one of the points that Johan Langer makes is that the under-18s and under-21s are now playing um, in the same identity as the first yeah. team. That's the, the phrase he uses. He, he talks about the, the mindset of, of uh, an identity being implemented in, within the different age group, groups. And I think that's helped a lot in the short space of time. And we're, we're seeing players given a platform to showcase their abilities, um, which is wonderful. I'm really, really chuffed about that. You know, under-18s play with an inverted right-back. Um, Leo Black tucks into midfield from right-back and does extremely well. How old is Leo Black? Um, Leo Black is, I imagine, 17, okay. I can check. So probably a couple of years off, at least, from being a useful asset to the squad, but potentially in the long yes. term, right? Yes, I would say so. So he is... He's just turned eighteen. Okay. Happy eighteenth birthday, Leo Black. Um, yeah, he like I'd say he needs a loan. He, he needs to under twenty one football, and then he needs a loan. So yes, like you say, a couple of years off. Okay. But we should absolutely be creating a pathway for him to be our backup right back in two years' time because he's very very good. Um, in Tyrese Hall, I think we have one of the most outstanding central midfielders uh, in academy football. Can you in describe this Tyrese Hall to us a little bit? I saw some clips. He's. Uh, He's kind of good at everything, but his absolute key strength is his ball carrying. He's just so smooth in possession, really press resistant, uh, just glides past players, just, yeah, incredible close control and, and dribbling ability. Uh, shifts his weight fantastically in this sort of Dembele-esque way. Um, 
they just can't get the ball off him. Basically, he's 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 that good, and his finishing is good too. His passing's good. He he screens well. He's just a a really superb central midfielder. I'm very excited about him. So yeah, I I sort of see what Andrew's getting at, but I I I don't know. I I worry that um, it kind of puts a bit of a downer on on the boys in the academy to hear the first team coach sort of complain about the quality not being there. Uh, but don't you think that that's that's a possible interpretation of that? Rather, like, is he maybe more just talking about longer term trends of us failing to produce players into the first team over the last five years or so, rather than necessarily and, and critique that, of our yeah, current crop? That's what I would want to clarify with him. I think I if, if I would just sit down that, with him, that is, I would give him the benefit of the doubt because of because of the the apparent talent to me and you um, at the moment, and and his so far um at least suggestion of intention to use them right i think so i think yeah. um i think postacoglu is firing shots but that the youth football thing is not something he could change immediately and i think judging by your comments Wendy, the changes are being made but it takes time it's going to be yeah. another two years before we see this progress but perhaps he's looking around the premier league and seeing liverpool being able to build like pluck out their like fluff out their squad with um academy products man city seem to pull out a oscar bob or whoever they need from from their reserves and arsenal i guess they got saka martinelli you'd count as youth products we don't really have that at spurs right now uh man united answered a problem with um what's his name maino maino so copy maino copy maino yeah so just, yeah. these teams do have that option but spurs over the last five years have been really reluctant to give individuals time and it's just going. We're just going to, have to be a bit more patient. Mainu is an interesting one. Uh, so Mainu had a couple of seasons in their under 18s. Last season he played 13 times for the under 21s, and then this season he's straight into the first team. That's that doesn't happen at Spurs. You know, Donnelly's basically had three seasons under 21 level. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's played probably three times, maybe more than the number of under 21 games that Mainu has, um, and he's only just getting like two or three minutes off the bench here and there. Uh, and, and maybe some of that's about sort of uh, physical and emotional maturity. Sure. Uh, and, I, I, and I can't, on a case-by-case basis, it's really hard to say, yeah. but I do think it's interesting that, uh, th- that that's been their approach with Mainu, who's who's taken to the Premier League like a doctor water, it has to be said. So you've spoken before, Wendy, how um, we're, we're at a par with the other top academies in the country up to under 18 level. And then, and then typically there's a fall off there. Do you think that our um, us reaching much more to loans is a significant um, solution to to that issue, or is there any? Is there more? Uh, I do think there that is a solution. I also think the change in playing style in the under twenty ones has helped yeah. a lot. I think basically our under twenty one coaches maybe they just they're not tacticians, and so having mm. an identity sort of thrust upon them has helped. I, th- I think we we're top of the league this year. We're playing some really good stuff. We're we're good. We've got good players. Um, yeah, so it's a combination of the the style of football and quality of football improving under twenty one football will help the pathway, but also this new focus on loans. And the going back to the old uh, strategy of when a loan's not working out, get the player back and send them elsewhere. Or if a loan's going really well and the player can probably step up to the next level, do the same, get them back and move them up level like we have with Alfie Divine. I think that's a really strong strategy and an interesting change of direction. 
Uh, I'm really pleased. And I think that Simon Davis is the one who's responsible for this. So deserves a lot of credit for, for what he's achieved so far. The other important think- change of recent years is, sorry, buddy, is bringing in additional younger players to support and fluff out our squad so that we don't have a gaping hole in our team that is preventing us from, you know, playing the way that we want to at, at youth level, right? Because we went through a period of time where we just had no forwards in the under-21 squad for like three years or something, right? I think we've also, we're also suffering as well because just our attitude towards young players and contracts means we've lost a lot of players who've yeah. who've ended up elsewhere. I don't know the the details of Madueke, but he's a guy, and there's a couple of others we lost to Leon and other clubs where had they um, stayed at Spurs, we'd paid them the money. Perhaps their career would have ended up differently as well. Definitely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and Paratici is the one that supposedly fixed that and started paying our young players more competitive salaries. So. He gets credit, I think, for for some of his work there, and that is really important. That's all, that's all part of the package, isn't it? It's making sure that they're compensated at a level that is uh, at least on par with other similar clubs. So Pete asks, Nathan, is the narrowness of the fullbacks in defence a form of protection for the centre backs? Because it seems we're offering the byline or the far post to the opposing wingers all the time. I'm amazed we don't concede more goals given the advantage this must give to the opposition in attack. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't use the phrasing protecting the centre backs so much as I would. I would say like um, prioritising the centre of the pitch, which is where the goals are and which matters most. I mean, essentially, like whenever you play football, uh, you are always choosing which areas you want to prioritise. So if you are, uh, you know, Tony Pulis, you prioritise your own box and a little bit of the space around the outside of your box, and and you deprioritise the rest and. Um, and most high pressing teams will say we don't want to surrender the opposition's half we don't even want to surrender the opposition's final third we want to press the opposition all the way and we accept the risks that come with that and it's just a minor quirk of the way that we play and this goes back to Celtic and this goes back to uh, Yokohama is that because we are so attacking minded because we put so many players forward because we press with so many players and because we use inverted fullbacks in possession we the area of the pitch that we give over to the opposition most of all is the flanks outside our fullbacks and we say if we try to cover that space we'll open too much space up in the middle and then we will be counter-attacked on again and again and again so we have to prioritize um midfield and we have to accept that that comes at the cost of giving space to the opposition wingers and (laughs) i don't want to alarm anyone (laughs) if you go back and watch yokohama they conceded so many goals from crosses so many goals from settled defense where the fullbacks are tucked in and the winger is isolated the opposition winger is isolated against them (laughs) and oh it's matoma (laughs) maybe not always (laughs) and he you know destroys the fullback and I think the problem, especially there, was that Yokohama were especially poor in the air, right? And so um, a significant number of the crosses that Yokohama conceded became goals that they conceded. And we don't have that problem, despite the fact that Romero is not great in the air. And Van der Ven, hmm, Van der Ven is statistically not great in the air, but I actually think he's he's perfectly good and fine when he needs to be in his own box to win aerial to so he actually uses his height. He just doesn't bother doing it on the halfway line because it's much better for him to do a little hop to pretend that he's going for the ball and then just arrive for the second ball instead, right? Um, anyway, it's, um, again, because always in football you are uh, picking and choosing 
what you're prioritizing. We will concede from crosses. <laughs> we have conceded from crosses. We will concede more from crosses. We will concede at the back post. Um, it will happen because that's where the sort of natural weaknesses in our system are. But um, that's just part of part of our game. And a payoff that uh, also allows us to commit five men into their box <laughs> on every attack and, and press like lunatics and, and have lots of players in the middle and offer lots of different solutions to build up. Um, what was the specific wording of the question? I've scrolled past it now. Uh, there it is. Um, I'm amazed we don't concede more goals given the advantage this must give the opposition attack. Well, again, yeah, it's it's a matter of payoff. So um, when the opposition do have settled advanced possession, um, we're giving them the flanks, but we aren't giving them a lot of settled advanced possession. I mean, actually, over the last few weeks, we've done more of that than we should have done, right? And then we'd like to do. Um, but we are fairly confident of our defending in the box to, to make up for that most of the time. Apart from um, when we need to tackle in the box because we give away so many penalties. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think we're joint top in the Premier League this season for the amount of penalties conceded. I, I don't remember a season like this before where we've given away so many. I mean, I th- and I think mm-hmm. perhaps um, the Brentford one, maybe, was the only contentious one. Otherwise, it's been clear penalties all the way through. Yeah, I think that probably... I think I would probably suggest that like... um. Oh God, you're going to like this, Barty, because it's Maldini, isn't it? Right. Well, if, you, we if we have to make your, make a tackle, which by as an Italian, he means a sliding tackle. If we have to make a sliding tackle in our own box, it's because we fucked up two minutes ago. And right. So um, I think that, yeah, I think the penalties we conceded, I mean, maybe that's just off the top of my head. I have to go back and watch them all to see how much that rings through. The Brighton one is from a turnover. Um, yeah. We conceded on the edge of our own box, right? So uh, the problem is not the quality of our defending in our box. The, the problem is the thing that lead to us having to slide in in our own box yeah oh speaking of sliding in in your own box congrats to captain serge Aurier on winning the african cup of nations you have been listening to the extra inch with me windy my sidekick and best friend barney and our tactics guy if you like this there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 